It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I am excited to be joined by my guest today. Join me as Javed Ekbal. He's the digital futurist, C-suite advisor on customer innovation, inspirational speaker and educator who has long been consult- a long-time consulting executive with Big Five, a former customer engagement and success leader at Salesforce.com, and now co-founder of a digital transformation consultancy focusing on innovation in the customer space. So Javed, welcome to Accelerate. Thanks for having me, Andy. And uh, I didn't butcher your name, hopefully, too badly. Um, <laughs> you was, did not. I, I was practicing. Thank you okay, for doing thank that. Thank you. <laughs> so take a minute, introduce yourself, give a little more depth about you know, how you got started and how you ended up where you are now. Absolutely. So um, interesting journey out of college. I was recruited by Ernst & Young uh, in their consulting practice, um, you know, focusing on Y2K and all those initiatives at that time in the 90s. And... Um, very soon I found myself sort of being asked to be, you know, sort of recruited by other consultancies as well. PricewaterhouseCoopers sort of uh, put the bill and came sort of running and, and, and getting me on. What was interesting was that when I was at ENY, Capgemini put a bid to buy them because there were some SEC laws about consulting and, and accounting. And, um, and then when I was at PwC, IBM came came shopping for them as well. So I said, well, this is an interesting sort of uh, thing that's happening at that time. Uh, I then um, started some uh, uh, consultancies in the, in the customer space and supply chain space and so forth. And um, interestingly, uh, I was asked uh, to start teaching some courses in the customer space, CRM and, and so forth. And I reached out to Salesforce to help me, sort of build a curriculum around the next generation of CRM. And uh, as I was sort of talking to them, they came back and they said, well, why don't you come join us? And uh, here we are, uh, many years <laughs> many years later, uh, on to the next journey and to the next journey and, uh, and to the future. Right. It's exciting. So you work, you said, you keep referring to, you work on the customer side, sort of. And I'll sort of say digital customer transformation. So, so what are the the biggest challenges? Because we're so often on the show, we're talking about everything from the seller side. So let's look at things from the buyer side. So, what are the biggest digital transformation challenges for customers today for our buyers? Absolutely. So, so at the end of the day, customers are humans, right? And as, as things are evolving in uh, sort of our day to day lives. We're relying a lot on technology, especially the mobile side of things and so forth. And that has changed the dynamic on how we learn and more importantly, how we buy things. And customers have never had this kind of power uh, in the history of, uh, of industry where you know, they're armed and equipped with the kind of information to go and demand certain services. And as that situation continues to evolve, it's increasingly getting harder and they keep um, you know, raising the bar for the corporations and the governments that you know, are innovating for them. Mm-hmm. So the consumption of this innovation, whether it's coming from a technology or a product or a service or on that, 
is continually being tested by the evolution of you know the humans in 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 the space of technology as well and it's 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 staggering it's exciting it's keeping everybody on their on their toes as well right and one one example i always give on this is in my in my talks is of a 6 year old girl and this this is a true example uh, a story that uh, a colleague of mine had told us my days at salesforce he was sitting in his uh, basement doing some work on a sunday morning and his daughter came and sat next to him on on the sofa and said, uh, you know, after 30 seconds of just sitting there, I said, Dad, why isn't this TV turning on? And he said, uh, well, honey, you have to turn this TV on for it to turn on. And uh, she said, no, it should know I'm here. It should turn <laughs> on by itself. <laughs> so what I ask my my audiences and my, my customers is, are you ready for this six-year-old girl to be your customer? And that sends some scary waves around, and it's it's interesting. Well, <laughs> right, and it reminds of the conversation or the newspaper article I saw that uh, I'm sure lots of people saw about recently over the holiday season where some child five years old or younger, I think actually three-year-old maybe, um, yeah, her mother was sleeping, and she t- picked up her mother's iPhone and pressed her sleeping mother's thumb against the, against the, oh, button, nice. <laughs> the button of the iPhone, turned it on. <laughs> And ordered like sixteen dollars from Amazon. So, nice. <laughs> yeah, think about it. how quickly, how quickly they're they're picking this up, right? Well, not only not only are they so. Think about it this way: the consumption of technology is starting to become very easy in certain ways. And you know, the security part that you're sort of marginally referring to is a is a whole can of worms. That mm-hmm. you know, that's a that's a long conversation in itself, but. This five-year-old, six-year-old, or the five-year-old that you're talking about, are uncorrupted by you know googling something and requiring an answer right there. But what they know is that it's very doable with just a a few a few scans and a thumbs and so forth. And they're embracing the digital world so much quickly because it it they haven't experienced all this in the physical world. Right. And the, and, and, the, and the collaboration between the digital world and the physical world where a lot of this is happening is where the magic happens. And these, these five-year-olds are ever so ready and are continuing to raise the bar on where, uh, you know, people or companies would have to uh, sort of meet them where they are in terms of their expectations. It's, a, it's, it can, it's marginally scary as well. <laughs> yeah, well, it is marginally <laughs> scary, but... You know, you spend a lot of time talking about in your work and you're working with the, the customer experience, the buying experience. Uh, certainly, that was one of the themes of, of Dreamforce this past fall. Um, interestingly, so there's a lot of talk right now about, and certainly I, I'm, I'm one of the people talking about it, but I didn't originate this, is that we're seeing sort of a little bit of a pushback here as we, in 2017, heading, looking out a little bit into the future where people are saying, okay, well, maybe we've, you know, I don't say gone too far too fast, but we really need to understand that there's really a role for a human in this whole thing, right? Especially between this buying and selling the transaction right now, there's thought that we can automate so much of it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's still a person making this decision. And so how how are you seeing that factored into as, you know, people do this digital transformation, we've got these new generations coming up that, that, you know, digital is not a new skill. It's just what is right for them. 
how do we how do we keep that the sort of human aspect of it integrated in all this? Well, it's a very interesting question because you know if you think about it, people buy from people they like. It's a very sort of humanistic sure. uh, approach right. on that no like, as well. No, no like and trust is what it's called, yeah. There you go, exactly. And, you know, often where I see a lot of the salespeople that I coach and, and, and sort of work with, where they fail is they focus a lot on just trying to know the client. You know, I, I know the VP of so-and-so, and I know that this and of so-and-so, and I golf with this guy and that gal and so forth. But what they don't focus on is understanding that client's needs. Mm-hmm. And those are two different things because the focus on just knowing somebody or a slew of people that would sort of uh, maybe need your service or your product and so forth versus understanding what their pain points are and so forth and bringing in the right value. I mean, if you sort of, I always reference the, this recent book, uh, value as a service by, uh, by Rob Bernstein and you know for, for the readers that have mm-hmm. not or your your viewers that have not sort of ventured into that I highly recommend that book the, the adage is that you're not just selling a service or a product you have to be selling value and value sort of comes you know above execution mm-hmm. and where people sort of uh, in on both sides whether it's selling or buying they focus a lot more on the execution part, making the deal happen from a time perspective or a, or, or a need perspective right. or, or so forth. What they're not sort of seeing is what value, the overarching value it's providing. And that's where the whole as a service or the subscription model has really blossomed because it brought about a need for the nurturers, the, the success-focused individuals that were not just sort of going about and helping the customer experience, but they were embedding themselves into the success journey of the customer. And Salesforce in many cases even sort of pioneered this or at least made it popular where on the front end of, you know, a sales cycle, uh, you'd bring in these success resources who would talk about, you know, the vision, the strategy, the journey, and even coach the sales folks on what is it better to sell, when is it better to sell, and, and, and how what you sell will be consumed. And if it's not consumed, it will not be retained, and hence you're going to have an attrition. So the whole cycle, uh, you know, from a humanistic, humanistic mm-hmm. perspective, requires some sort of supervision with value or success in mind. And I think a lot of sales folks that are sort of going about just focusing on making their numbers are not thinking the whole value part of it, which is where they're failing. Yeah, I'm, I would I would agree. I mean, I was sort of thinking about your comments about um, <laughs> Salesforce, you know, sort of being the pioneer in this is, and certainly within the space. But the, the thing that's sort of interesting is that, like a lot of things that trends and and things that are supposedly new or innovations that we see in sales these days that really sort of a repackaging of what's been done before but maybe done at a scale that that perhaps was different because certainly the whole idea of customer success i mean i, I worked in a number of companies where we're selling large enterprise products to large very large enterprises and we did just as you said right from day one we had our project manager as part of the sales team right which encompassed right, right. sales engineer right. customer success you know 
engineering itself, whatever it took in order to help the customer uh, navigate their way through their buying process. And so that when the order was given, there was this seamless transition to the success mode because that person had been integrated into the, the process the entire way. Right. And so I see this as sort of what we see today, which I think is really beneficial to customers as well as to companies, is making that available, you know, technology and make that available to a broader array of customers. Well, I think, you know, the process is never new. I mean, if you think about, you know, if, if you, you know, to your reference of repackaging, I think it's, it's more reimagining than repackaging. And the reason I say okay. that is that, you know, yes, you had people, you know, embedded in the sales cycle up front. They were project managers or whoever were making sure that, you know, the sort of the, the, the sale happened. But the end-to-end, the entire cycle of when the customer was acquired all the way till the end of the subscription through a very mechanized mm-hmm. um, sort of vision with metrics along the way that sort of guide you through the process didn't exist. And what Salesforce came up with, which I thought was brilliant, uh, was this notion of an early warning system where year one, if it's a three-year subscription, mm-hmm. every quarter or every year, you go back, your success people are focused to make sure that, um, you know, all the warnings, which are, you know, the usage of the product, uh, you know, the against others, against people in, you know, co- companies in your industry and so forth. And there were so many other aspects of what came to the early warning system and so forth were looked at throughout every stage of the process. And that ensured that the value that you had promised up front did not just disseminate or dissipate when you sort of let them go after it was implemented. In my, in my way, the real journey begins then because sure. that's when you, they need handholding and so forth. So, you know, embedding this up front, and I've been sort of going to a lot of these and talking about customer success globally, um, and even places like Dubai and Singapore, where a lot of these notions are extremely new. These guys are still trying to figure out, you know, how this new technological advance and sales and others mm-hmm. are going. And the value piece is a clear winner, in my opinion, uh, that sometimes gets undermined just because they want to, or, or you know, sell a product or make a number by a certain quarter of the year. Well, yeah. So, I mean, there is <laughs> there is some some um, reconciliation, I think, that needs to be done between the two. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> between the two, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, well, one question back on on digital transformation of customers is before I leave that topic completely is is also sort of seeing another sort of sort of I don't know two different forces sort of banging up against each other a little bit is, you know, on one hand, we have this idea that of the the buying committee, you know, with some number of stakeholders involved and that this right. is somehow a trend that is, you know, embedding itself more broadly and widely in, in our economy, both major enterprises as well as smaller companies, uh, and certainly articulated in the Challenger Customer book, which is a, an excellent book, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. But then on the other hand, I've been talking to more people recently saying, well, yeah, that's sort of true. But now we're seeing, as a result of these digital transformation efforts, we're seeing new people coming into the C-suite with very specific t- 
titles like chief digital officer, chief transformation officer, and so on, who are perhaps trying to position themselves as as that decision point as opposed to this broad committee. And people sort of thought for a while, well, you know, less effort, less attention needs to be paid to selling to the C-suite. Now it seems like that's coming back to the fore, is that you need to spend as much attention on the C-suite as well as with the committee, if maybe not more on the C-suite than you did before. Absolutely. I think, I think C-suite is being redefined. Um, you know, I, I recently was uh, having a conversation with this uh, CEO who runs this major distribution company. And he was talking about how he's hired a chief distribution op, uh, chief uh, disruption officer mm-hmm. to sort of see the trends across the industry and so right. forth. And, uh, you know, I challenged him. I said, in many cases, you are the chief disruption officer. You are the chief customer officer and so forth. And, you know, having sort of a committee to do that might not solve your problems. So I think what I'm seeing is as the enterprise gets flattened, as roles get redefined, mm. I mean, the adage that, you know, I, we've been sort of going towards that said that by 2017, CMOs will be spending more money on technology than CIOs. Uh, and we're in 2017 already, that kind of shows that the power of buying is sort of being redefined and redistributed to your point as well. And while the chief digital officer may be a great influencer on where it needs to go rather than the chief information officer, um, you know, that kind of leads into another theory I have on blue collar versus white collar IT we can talk about that another another time. <laughs> okay, yeah, I thought we were going to jump into it. That's... <laughs> but 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 the procurement element uh, sort of is being redefined because now those procurement people, uh, whether it's just a procurement function, has more bosses to to deal with. You've got a oh, it's being you know, distributed an influencer absolutely. exactly. So I think I think as sellers they also have to understand that where the power really lies. I mean, if the vision of the company is going towards digital disruption and the chief disruption officer is in some way influencing, if not just calling the shots only, then you've got more stakeholders to sort of uh, get to know and understand their needs rather than you know uh, just one or two. So it's a very interesting time on both sides, buying and selling, as this thing evolves uh, from one state to another, yeah, I mean, I love the the idea of the chief disruption officer. I mean, that's that is that would be a cool job. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, uh, the the definition in itself and the parameters are hard to define, though. Oh yeah, well, because... I know that's that's part of the beauty of it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could be a futurist and say, you know what, I'm the chief future officer. You never know that, right? But. I was challenged by a CEO in, in front of a crowd once on sort of a mechanized way of going about, you know, a digital strategy in, in, in the new stratosphere. And the question he had was, well, should I take a division, sort of, you know, make that all digital and then sort of, uh, you know, replicate it across? And I said, well, you know, you can't just do this and just replicate. It's a, it's a horizontal piece. And the more that you're already late to the game, if you don't have a digital strategy in, in 2017, well, first of all, you know, that's bad news. Sure. You, you should have thought about this earlier, the, the conversions of industries, the conversions of physical, digital, 
is sort of where it's taken. And I, I call this the, the repeat of the Y2K syndrome, where the CEOs were like, well, what do we do with those two digits? Well, nothing happened to those two digits. But right. what do we do with this new digital thing? And people seem to be confused in the overarching way, which includes even buying the right tools. And it's just the beginning because right now, um, you know, there are social technologies that are sort of confusing them and so forth. Imagine when uh, artificial intelligence is completely embedded, mm. augmented technologies, it's going to be a slew of things. The chief, chief digital officer would be sitting pretty because you continue to redefine the post, the goal post, and it's like, well, you know, we'll see next year how it goes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I was hearken back to this time to me, sir, feels a little similar, but but different in, in critical ways to, you know, I remember there was this, uh, you know, rush at the end of the 90s, early 2000s, about, gosh, suddenly all this fiber was laid, and there's this, you know, big frontier, and people thought, you know, the future was unlimited and bright, but then they reached this sort of, just brief moment in time, and certainly I think somewhat caused perhaps by the turmoil in the, in the financial markets, is like, oh my gosh, suddenly we had all this dark fiber. And people thought, we're never <laughs> going to have to lay fiber again in this country, right? Because we've got all this capacity. And what that last, you know, five years maybe or something like that before <laughs> the future overtook it. And it seems like we're sort of at another one of these really critical inflection points, as you said, where digital is fundamentally, I mean, it's happened. We've seen it in industries, you know, Uber and Airbnb and so on, but it's happening, right. happening to the auto industry, right? You know, this very capital intensive industry is becoming, if you don't have a digital strategy in the auto industry, you're toast. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, the way of the future is if you, if you sort of start looking at, I mean, you mentioned Uber and uh, I talk about this often as well. If you think about one Uber ride or one transaction of an Uber thing that you do. Imagine the number of industries that converge to make that one transaction happen, mm -hmm. right? You've got, you've got your finance in there, you've got the telecom in there, the high tech, the transportation, you've got so many others as well. So the innovation at the intersections of these industries is where a lot of this magic is going to happen and the handoffs are getting tougher. So, if you think about it from a from a salesperson's perspective, um, the buyer is continuing to become more and more uh, needy, mm -hmm. uh, and you are continuing to play catch up with the buyer. And these these social technologies are making it even harder for you to sort of catch up because. It's the first time in the history as well where the channels are the same, and we talked about this earlier that. The, the channels where marketing, selling, and service are happening are the same. I mean, if you think about Twitter, sure. Twitter is used for pretty much everything across the board right. from acquisition to retention. And companies are still stuck with silos of sales, service, and marketing. And the lines of all of them are completely blurred. Uh, it's, 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 it's how do you define where a campaign ends and a selling happens versus a service uh, happened and a, and a marketing did not happen and so forth. So well, it think, needs to be reimagined. Oh, I agree. I, I want to spend some time on that because I think, I think it's made more complex by the fact of what you talked about is that, is that you're no longer selling in a silo either in the sense that you talked about just that Uber transaction. What, there are several different imp impacts or industries that are impacted that you talk about. Right. Well, you need to understand when you're selling that 
that more often than, than not, and more than ever before, what you're selling is just a piece of something bigger. And mm-hmm. you really have to understand how it integrates. And so you're selling something beyond just what your product or service is. And I think that's, that's, that's a real challenge for salespeople going forward is to, it's hard enough. We always talk about these basic lessons about, you know, <laughs> lead with questions, don't open your mouth and just do your pitch and so on. But, but, you know, think forward a few years as you talked about where increasingly what, again, what you're selling is just a piece of an overall solution. And if you don't really understand where it fits and how it's going to add value to the overall picture, you're lost. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, in a, in a marathon, you're, you're, you're just, you just set up to hand in the baton to somebody else and they're taking it over. And it's, it's the mechanism and the time that you handed that baton, which will determine the, the victory at the end. And it, it's, it's, it's changing the dynamic of how, um, you know, industry is being defined. I mean, the world economic forum is happening these days. Mm-hmm. The fourth industrial revolution is, is is a big topic they talked about last year. And technologies are leapfrogging each of these sort of divides. And the piece that you talked about is getting more and more complex. Because if you think about um, where the, the customer wants to meet you or you to meet them is within, within a, a structure of a structure. I mean, if you think about gaming where you're sort of, you know, you've got, a, you've got the whole thing on, you're, you're playing a game and so forth, and all of a sudden there's, a, there's a, an option to buy something within the game. Right. Right? So you, you, you buy that thing within the game or within an app, it's an in-app purchase and so forth. So it's one piece leading to the other, leading to the other, leading to the other. And unless you've got the visionary mindset, and I call this the 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 uh, the bartender versus the chef mindset, where you know in in a bartender situation, when you walk up to a bar, you just tell them what you're looking for. It's it's typically some sort of an alcohol with a mixer, and they sort of give it to you. The transaction happened, but the chef under tries to understand. The, the restrictions in diet, uh, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, meals that you're sort of privy to, is it the right pairing of the wine and the paddle cleanser and the whole thing? And unless you think about it in a, in a chef sort of a mindset, you're not going to be victorious in, in this very sort of increasingly complex and very soon, um, which I call augmented selling world, not even the social selling mm-hmm. world. The augmented selling world is going to be a huge can of worms. So de- going to make define, define augmented selling. So I, I haven't read the definition on this or anything, but you know what I believe is that futuristically, as more augmented realities mm-hmm. sort of kick in and augmented technologies come in, your buying decisions get automated in some way, shape, or form, and it sort of takes you in that direction. I uh, recently read an article that uh, there are a few companies that sort of help you, uh, you know, in your buying journey through augmented reality. Lego is one where you're sort of building the blocks and so forth. So if you sort of uh, want to buy, you know, Lego for a city or, you know, one of the towers or something like that, it, it is helping you sort of frame your mind help you, um, you know, build the right pieces with a future in mind that, you know what, you've got to sort of 
leave some space for this and that and that when you're making this buying decision. It's like a connected hmm. journey, so to speak. So um, if you're not going to be looking a few steps ahead, it's the just in time, the, you know, the, hey, I need this right now purchases will be sort of harder because as this continues to sort of move forward, you've got to be foundationally ready and agile to be in a world where, you know, like you said, you own just one piece as part of a bigger piece. Right. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when we're done, I'm going to be thinking a lot about this conversation. So, um, <laughs> so last piece I want to get to before I go to the last thing on the show is, is you had talked about redefining sales, marketing, service, which I, I really, I think is, is one, to my mind, one of the big trends coming up that people need to be watching for because, yeah, in a lot of cases, it just doesn't make sense the way we do it. And I know, you know, I've got this whole trend, account-based marketing, account-based everything, whatever we want to call it, that that more closely align sales and marketing together and how they target and approach and capture business. And then you have the customer success part and, you know, obviously on the retention side. But, you know, I look at it from the fact of sort of a, it becomes more of a team approach to selling. Right now we've got a model that's very much about sort of what I call the hero-based model, which is, you know, sales is the hero. And, um, and a rewarded approach Accordingly, right. But right. you know, in the world as we're evolving, and as certainly as you described it, and certainly as I see it, uh, even in the account-based uh, everything or account-based revenue model, you know, sales is not necessarily the primary actor in all cases responsible for closing the deal, and it's a real challenge for salespeople. It becomes the thing challenge for managers as they look at how they constitute their teams and how they uh, compensate teams in order to keep people motivated and involved is they're going to have to rethink the, I think the whole premise about how we, how we pay salespeople, how they, who they report to what they do. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, to single out sales. I think is, is it's interesting in itself because if you look at some of these bigger deals that happen, it's got the fingerprints of, pretty much everybody across the board, right? You've mm-hmm. got your success folks and your, and your services folks and your alliances folks and your, uh, you know, leadership and, and, and everybody in itself as well. And yet it's the sales person who is somehow responsible for the, for the end all be all. And yeah, you're the quarterback, you're the whatever. But I think as the function in itself gets redefined, as these lines of sales service and marketing get blurred and, you know, upcoming comes in the, the way I look at things on the customer acquisition and the customer retention piece. I think that just changes the game because up until now, it's the adage has been on acquisition. That's where the salespeople have been paid for. That's where the hunting happens and so forth. But more increasingly, the, these hunting farmers are sort of bringing in bigger deals because they understand the value and they can bring the value in mm-hmm. it as well. So the retention, which, you know, sort of helps you even sell more at the end of, the, uh, of your subscription, becomes your sales team. So I think... Well, no, I, think already, I think already in... in 
I've, at least I understood based on something I heard at a conference last year that someone said at uh, the Saster conference, which is almost coming up here as we record this uh, in January of 2017, but at the 2016 Saster conference, I think already at that point, someone made the comment on a panel that um, customer success was responsible for more revenue than new business development teams. Absolutely, because yeah. customer success is understanding the needs. They are in it. They're, they're not just people who have bad status because they are there to sort of schmooze the customer. They're there for the whole year. I mean, I mean, think about it. So one of the things that Salesforce did, and I'll give you an example of it, was the whole concept of, you know, an advisor for the cloud, mm-hmm. a digital sort of a native was so new that a lot of our customers were having trouble going out there in the field and finding people that they could hire as well. Sure. So Salesforce came up with a concept of a program architect that sort of is sold as a person for the, for the whole year, mm-hmm. which helps them sort of bring about the whole strategy. You've got a dedicated or a designated person, depending on which way you go. But during that one year, not only do you sort of, sort of handhold them through the process, but you also help them get the right person to replace you after you've left that could take the baton from you, from the, from the customer's side and take it forward. So it's, it's that kind of commitment. It's that kind of sort of deep rooted focus that is going to be required going forward, especially in larger organizations that are sitting with, you know, these various types of systems and uh, the way I look at them and, you know, I've sort of had uh, conversations in length with the different types of systems that are systems of record, systems of engagement, Mm -hmm. systems of collaboration and systems of innovation. And people actually don't know the differences between them. Most of these uh, big corporations don't even have uh, enterprise architects to sort Mm -hmm. of understand that foundationally, are they even ready to take on the next level of digital innovation that they want to thrive on? To your point earlier, though, I think what's really critical about that is that that necessarily limits what sales can sell. Because if the organization exactly. isn't in a position to, to foresee and envision, you know, what the next two, you know, let's say they buy something from Salesforce, if they're not able to envision what's, what phases two, three, and four are of Salesforce and how it could benefit them more broadly throughout the organization, you know, whatever that, those facets are, yeah, you can only sell phase one. But then who's going to sell Absolutely. phase two, three, and four? Well, that's, that's your customer success people. That's your, your account managers. And, yeah, they have to be extremely savvy salespeople and it's it's uh yeah. it's actually sort of interesting it's one of the things that that uh sort of an issue these days is i think is okay well how are how are these people being trained to sell because it's a different type of sale than your front-end hunter seller well and, and there's a different type of person as well sure so people that signed up for success back in the day were the farmers and now you know sort of if you're you know taking them from a farmer to a hunting farmer that's a different can of worms. And, you know, it's not a Salesforce specific problem. I mean, everybody's moved to the cloud, Oracle, Microsoft, uh, everybody has sort of leapfrogged into subscription models for their yeah. products and so forth. So it's becoming an industry problem where you've got to embed yourself, understand the various aspects of technologies that are moving and 
sort of enable success that way. Yeah, I mean, and that's a stakeholder right there. Yeah, well, I think arguably you make the case that, and I do, is that, yeah, you're in enterprise sales at least, your account managers have to be bigger visionaries than your, you know, your people out trying to get the deal originally. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and it's a partnership. I mean, sure. you know, IBM does it well. They've, they've got sort of consulting and, uh, and uh, the sales partners right. sort of going in together with, you know, that kind of comm structures and so forth. And, and I think to your earlier point, the comm structure needs to be looked at as well, because if, if everybody's contributing to this sort of a bigger uh, piece and the sales guy walks out with a nice fit ba- uh, big fat commission, it kind of leaves a bad taste on the others as well. So Absolutely. I think across the board, organizations have to be redefined as well. Yeah, well, now, I agree. That was my point about that whole thing about the compensation. Is that, Absolutely. Yeah, people aren't, aren't going to be happy in the long term if, if they're all working a deal equally and sales walks away with twice as much money. So uh, just, a heads up, just a heads up for sales. <laughs> okay, so Javed, we have just a few more questions. I got some standard questions to ask all my guests. And so the first one is hypothetical scenario. I pose that you, Javed, have just been um, hired as VP of sales at a company whose sales have sort of stalled out a little bit, and you know they're anxious to get uh, things turned around, back on track. So, what two things could you do your first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? Well, I would try to understand the setting culture uh, on how sales are typically done. Mm-hmm. And I think when, when I, what I mean by culture is understand uh, the various aspects of methodologies and processes and so forth that are being looked at. And the second thing I would see is uh, the caliber of salespeople. Mm-hmm. I mean, are they chefs or are they bartenders? I'm, I'm very <laughs> straightforward on that, in my opinion. Uh, uh, and you know, being I, well, I, I laugh. I laugh because it's an interesting <laughs> distinction. Usually, people say, "Are they hunters or they're farmers?" You're really the only one who said, "Are they chefs or bartenders?" So I, I, I like that. <laughs> and and you know, someone told me earlier on when I was sort of helping salespeople sell was they said there are three three types of salespeople. You know, one that uh, uh, needs your help. One that you know never know what's going on. Don't waste your time on that. One that don't need your help. They think they're the they're the bomb. Let them be at it. There's a big middle portion. They need your help. Stay focused on that and, and make that victory. So I think you know understanding the processes and understanding the people mm-hmm. are the two biggest levers. Uh, and when I say understanding, my way would be sort of auditing. Uh, right. where each of them stand in terms of innovation, futuristic needs, and so forth. And obviously, is, is, is you know, what kind of product are they selling? I mean, if, if, okay. if the product needs a lot of other things, that would be a third. Uh, that's a separate conversation in itself. <laughs> okay. We'll come back. We'll have that one. All right. So some <laughs> rapid-fire questions. You can give me one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. The first one is when you personally are out selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? Uh, it's the relationship aspect. It's the smile. <laughs> okay. All right. So it's one for me. Who's your sales role model? So um, I uh, have uh, shook hands with a lot of big five partners, a lot of people at Oracle, Salesforce, many other places. The one person that uh, singles out in terms of the smoothness and the way he exudes sales was uh, 
the head of our region within uh, within Salesforce, his name is Dandel Deegan, call him Triple D. Fantastic person, uh, one of the better sales leaders I've ever come across. Uh, a couple of things he does very well is uh, a focus, a very laser focus on the customer, understanding the needs, big relationship guy, and a big uh, big picture guy. And I think that I've, I've modeled some of my things on, on the way he's done things. And I think, um, you know, he's been a great uh, person to sort of look up to and, and, and I'm a big, big admirer. Okay. Uh, what's one book every salesperson should read? Well, I think <laughs> given where things are going and, uh, uh, you know, where, where I think I'm, I'm leading towards, I'd say two books. Okay. Now one, definitely read Value as a Service. Right. And uh, if you're at it, there's a, a book called Customer Success. Recently came out months ago. I would strongly recommend it. The, uh, the, you know, the, the passage, the foreword is by the, by the president of uh, the customer success at Salesforce as well. So fascinating read. It will help you understand where things are going on that front as well. Okay. All right. So last question for you. What music is on your playlist right now? <laughs> well, you know, it's, 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 it's been a tough year for music industry. I mean, you've got a few artists that have sort of passed away right, and so forth. Right. Um, but, you know, it's, it's funny and, and old school enough. Last two years, I've been uh, fortunate to see you two twice. Okay. Uh, thanks to Salesforce on that. They were at Dreamforce this year. Uh, and then last year, we, we, we did, a, did a big one at United Center as well. So, um, you know, you two's always been the limelight of, right. of things whenever I'm down or whatever. Uh, but it's, it's, it's fun to sort of go back to the, the basics of my younger days and, All right. and sort of take more from there. We're very good. So, Javed, tell people how they can find out more about you and connect with you. Absolutely. So, uh, my website, javedigbal.global, has a lot of information about, you know, the areas that I speak at, the areas that I consult at. Uh, the area uh, areas I teach at, and uh, you can email me at uh, connect at uh, javedikbal.global. Excellent. Well, again, thank you very much. And uh, friends, thank you for spending your time with us, as always. And uh, remember, make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is to make sure you don't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Javed Iqbal, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks again for joining me, and until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com. <laughs>